Welcome to Bioethics On Air, the program that brings you thoughtful, in-depth commentary on ethics at the crossroads of science, medicine, and daily life. I'm Jose Lott, your host. We are a broadcast of the National Catholic Bioethics Center in Philadelphia. I'm happy to welcome back to the podcast theologian, ethicist, educator, and Catholic social commentator, Dr. Charlie Camosi. In the first of a two-part interview, Charlie offers his perspective on the Dobbs leak and the implications it may have on abortion politics in the United States. Charlie Camosi, welcome back. And I emphasize back to Bioethics On Air. I am so excited after the first one to be back with you again, Joe. <laughs> we had a blast. We managed to have a blast. We're talking about the worst things in the world, but, but, but here we are. <laughs> you gotta, ha- I mean, you gotta have some fun. I mean, you gotta, yeah. you gotta enjoy life when you get the chance to do it. So for those, um, our, our regular listeners, they know that usually with new guests, we ask them to, to say a few words about themselves. Charlie, you're not a new guest, so we're, we're going we're gonna to forego that. If, if people haven't heard the previous um, interviews with Charlie, he was episodes 59 and 60. Um, so you can go back and take a, a listen if you want to hear some of Charlie's bio. But do you realize it's been since March 2021? It's been over a year since we recorded those two podcasts. That's crazy. My gosh. That's nuts. It is nuts. Anyway, That's all nuts. right. So- so let's get into it because okay. uh, I do. Uh, I was telling Charlie off air just before we got going that when the Dobbs uh, leak came out, he was one of the people that I wanted to talk to about it uh, on this podcast right away. So, Charlie, I know you've commented on the Dobbs leak in a number of different venues, but here we are about two, two plus weeks after the leak came out. What's your take on it? Well, I almost still can't believe it happened, right? I mean, we so many of us have been preparing for this moment, trying to help this moment come for so long um, that it's surreal, right? It's it's almost like you can't believe it. And maybe there's good reasons not to count our chickens, um, right? Because I was a junior in high school at the time, but the uh, 1992 Casey, Planned Parenthood versus Casey decision from what I understand, folks were almost as confident that Roe would be basically overturned there. there. And it, there was a last minute shift of the justice that totally switched that uh, around. So so I guess that's one thing I'd say. Let's not quite count our chickens before they hatch here. Um, second, I think it's important to note that this is not the best outcome. If, if the draft decision which was leaked, uh, opinion which was leaked, is in fact what basically what we're getting it's not the best decision we could have hoped for. Really? Interesting. Yeah. As you may know, Robbie, George, and John Finnis contributed an amicus brief where they argued that the court should find basically that prenatal children should have equal protection of the law under the Constitution, that that's what the justices should find. And uh, the decision explicitly says we're not doing that. Uh, we're returning it to the states, um, and and each state will have its opportunity to have this out in a political context, in a, in a legislative context, if they so choose. And then maybe finally, I'd say that signals that um, maybe this is just the end of the beginning, right? If if this is really going back to the states, I don't need to tell you, there's just going to be a ton of work to do. Crafting laws that, you know, don't imprison women for doing things like, for instance, if they have an abortion when they're intimate partner is violent and says, I'm going to beat the crap out of you if you don't get an abortion, right? Making sure those women don't get put in jail, for instance, is something we need to make sure that 
ha- happens. Um, we, they talk about social support and various other things to do, but I guess I think of it, I've been trying to think about how this feeling feels, I guess. Um, it feels like, you know, the feeling when you get into college or when you cast in your school play or make a sports team, right? It's, it creates the conditions for the possibility of achieving your goal. You won't be able to achieve your goal without this, but in some ways now the work really begins, I guess. That's what I'm, that's the way I feel. Yeah, I, I think you're right on that. And and I've said on this podcast before, just going back to the first thing you said, I've, I've been very pessimistic about this whole Dobbs case mm. right from the very beginning, just because kind of, as you said, going back to Casey, and if you look at all of the, really the, the, the questions, the abortion related questions that have come up uh, to the court over the past 20 or 30 years, there really isn't a lot to give us uh, hope that something good was going to happen. And then when this leak came out, it was like, I was like, I've gone from maybe pessimism to guarded optimism. But again, yeah. a, a, you're right. I mean, you can't um, count your chickens until until they hatch. And I also really like the point you made about the 14th Amendment, because we had Noah Brandt from uh, Live Action on a few episodes ago. And he was that was his big thing is, is what we really need to do is, is protect all lives you know, unborn lives included under the 14th amendment, which, uh, you know, as you said, this, this, uh, this decision explicitly does not do so. And then we're going to talk about the States, uh, coming up a little bit later, but yeah, a lot of, a lot of good stuff that I got to ask you this question. And I know, uh, it's, it's probably an unfair question, but, uh, I wouldn't expect uh, anything less from you, Joe. Well, so. yeah, I got to give you a hard time. You know, yeah, yeah. Charlie, who do you, who do you think leaked the draft decision and what was the rationale for leaking it? This is such, I mean, if it weren't such high stakes, it would be just such a delicious kind of investigative thing to to think about, right? Because really, it's so interesting to think about both options here, right? If you're thinking about it, first of all, if you think it's a clerk, which I think most people do, a Supreme Court clerk, you know, the first instinct I think of almost everyone was, well, this has got to be a clerk for one of the so-called liberal justices, right? That the liberal, ju- the liberal folks online, the pro- or it's probably better to say pro-abortion folks online, were the ones um, supporting it, saying good for the leaker. Most of the conservative, or probably better to say pro-life um, responses were, what an outrage. <laughs> but, I mean, well, here's something that's interesting. One of the, for me anyway, um, I know it's difficult for folks to believe, but, you know, the the political needle really hasn't moved um, at least from like who's voting for Republicans or who's voting for Democrats since the leak. And so it's, it's interesting to see the public reaction to this be one of, you know, what's going to happen. It's not just abortion, but they're coming for interracial marriage next, these evil people. Right. Um, So, you know, maybe it was an attempt to signal the leak was an attempt to signal to this very activist pro-abortion crowd to make these moves and to try to freak people out. But, but it seems not to have worked, which I think is interesting, right? It seems not, people are not freaked out by this by and large. There are exceptions, of course, on the extremes, activist extremes. So that makes me wonder, right? Is it, who, who really benefits from this leak? I mean, if, if as you and I maybe are worried about, there are some squishy justices, which we'll um, get to, could this be leaked by someone uh, a more a more conservative or probably better to say pro life clerk who 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 basically wants to lock in the five four um, whatever it is or whatever the majority is wants to lock it in because it seems like I mean I don't know about you but if I'm a if I'm a Supreme Court justice 
um, I'm not going to be deterred. I'm not going to be bullied into my opinion, right? I'm going to be steadfast. I'm not going to let people tell me what to do. So, you know, and then I'll finish with this. You know, there were other leaks, not leaks of opinions, but there are other leaks coming out. In fact, before this opinion was leaked, Wall Street Journal had a leak saying that basically we had um, five for overturning Roe and Roberts was trying to be the uh, the fly in the ointment here saying, well, let's let's essentially hold, uphold the Mississippi law and uh, not overturn Roe and Casey somehow. That doesn't seem very viable. But but anyway, th- where did that leak come from? <laughs> Who Like it's to the Wall Street Journal. Um, it's about the five uh, justice conservative majority. Um, CNN, I think just yesterday had a story about how they still think the five justice majority is still there. So somebody's leaking in ways that um, seem to indicate they have some inside information with how the conservatives are going to vote or, you know, the pro-life or whatever we want to call them. Categories sometimes fail. But those that want to overturn Roe, the five that want to overturn Roe. So I don't know. <laughs> it's so, it's so, it's, I'm sorry if that's, if that's, if that's punting on your, your it's, very well, appropriate question. Well, it's a long-winded answer to say I have no idea. I have no idea. I used, I, I came out thinking it's got to be one of the, one of the, you know, clerks for the pro-abortion justices, but now I'm honestly just not sure. Yeah. Interesting. Now you started talking about this and, I, and I'd like to kind of push you a little bit on the, uh, on the, uh, the five, four right now. So, you know, as we know, the, the, the leaked draft indicated that at minimum, the vote to overturn Roe and Casey was five, four. So we have obviously Alito, Thomas, Gorsuch, uh, Kavanaugh, and Coney Barrett. You, you mentioned this already, but I wonder if you could talk about it a little bit more. Do you think any of the five will change their votes in the between now and the and the time the uh, final decision comes out? Why or why not? Yeah, I guess I return to this idea. I I hope this isn't just wishful thinking, uh, but again, back to the goal of the leak. I I wonder if concern if it was a again if it's a pro lifer or whatever who leaked it. They know that justices are stubborn people who won't let the public pressure sway their vote, and so it actually locks in votes rather than, um, you know, f- kind of puts public pressure in ways like, you know, is if is, is Justice Kavanaugh after what he went through to get confirmed really going to be worried about a few people, you know, parading outside his house or saying mean things about him on Twitter? If anything, I think if he was like intellectually, you know, wavering between, you know, going with the chief or going with this, uh, the, the other four or three or whatever it was, this, this is, I think, locked him in. I mean, how can, how can anyone now kind of respect themselves in the morning, as it were, uh, if they, if they let this public pressure, um, switch their, switch their vote on this? I mean, how can they claim to be anything other than just, you know, squishy political actors, um, who will, who will cave at, you know, when they have uh, things that are uncomfortable for them. And again, now that the opinion is public, I think we've seen that it isn't the sky is falling, right? It isn't this like, uh, Western democracy is about to fall type moment at all. Uh, if anything, you know, there's been a lot uh, people in our circles are very worked up about it and rightly so. I think it's the fundamental social justice issue of our time, fundamental justice issue of our time. But if you just look at the electorate overall, it does. This has not moved things hardly at all in terms of what what things are looking forward to in the in the midterms, for instance. Yeah, 
Yeah. Go back to uh, to Ju- Chief Justice Roberts a little bit. I, 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 I wonder what he's thinking here because you don't really know where he is on this issue. I've heard a whole bunch of different theories that, you know, as you mentioned, the CNN leak, so to speak, that he was trying to uphold um, the, the Jackson case, or excuse me, trying to uphold Dobbs, but not overturn Roe and, and how you do that. And I've heard others say that, you know, as the chief, does he really want to be on the losing side of this battle? And, and will he join, you know, will it be a 6-3 majority just for that reason? There's all sorts of theories out there. What do you think he's thinking right now? And where do you think Roberts is going to come off? Or where's he going to come down when the final decision comes out? You ask the big ones, right? Or the difficult ones. No, uh, no. Hey, I, I mean, we're, we're paying you so much money to be on this podcast. <laughs> I could retire now. Um. Yeah, I've, I've done a lot of thinking about this. Sounds like you have too. And, um, you know, he was the, again, we got this from a leak, I guess, but um, we learned that his vote on the Affordable Care Act was the one that kind of switched to save it uh, when he was originally going to be part of the majority that struck it down, where they kind of did a bait and switch on whether the fee that people had to pay for not buying into the system was a tax or a, or a fee. Right. Um, right. Yep. So he seems to have outed himself there as somebody for better or for worse, who thinks about the court's legitimacy as a, a primary concern. Um, and thought that, uh, if the court was seen as striking down this massive piece of legislation, which had just roiled the country for many months and was just, the, the primary piece of legislation of the incoming administration and beloved of so many people um, that, you know, that the court's legitimacy might be threatened if it was struck down. And so perhaps that, I mean, I don't, I don't think it takes quite a large leap of logic to say perhaps there's something similar going on here. If, if he is convinced that um, striking down Roe and Casey would put the court's legitimacy at risk in a similar way that part of what's going on here is, is, you know, he thinks that this law that maybe the original understanding of Roe and Casey were, were kind of wrong. And this, you know, the, the trimester system and the viability standard need to go away in order to incorporate um, Mississippi's 15 week threshold, but that in order to keep the viability of the court, we kind of have to keep um, or at least say we're keeping Roe and Casey in place though it's hard to see how that's po- again yeah. how that's possible um yeah. it would be a totally whatever whatever would r- remain it'll be interesting to see what his opinion is if it's a dis- or a concurring opinion with dissenting in part what he would have suggested because it would be a very radical rethinking of Rowan Casey um but here here's here's where I'll finish with this the the interesting thing to me again I'll say this for a third time is how outside of again very loud activist spaces some of which we inhabit um, oh, yeah. uh, this hasn't made that big of a, a bump in, in how public opinion thinks about politics in this country or about certainly not about democracy in this country or something. So perhaps he's seen, um, and this could be another, <laughs> another strategy of the leaker, perhaps, I don't know. Um, he, perhaps he's seen that if this goes down, it won't be the catastrophic thing that will, um, you know, damage the court irrevocably irre- or something. Um, and maybe he could he could end up siding with the with these other other five and make it a six three. I don't know. Yeah, 
It would be nice if he did. I'm, I'm not holding out a, a whole lot on that one <laughs> I either. I can tell but... by the way you said, yeah, under your breath. You yeah. weren't convinced. You were not convinced. No, I, I'm, I'm still not convinced it's going to be 5-4 because, I mean, well, as you said, in Casey, uh, apparently it was Justice Kennedy who was going to vote, you know, with the majority overturned and then he changed. And then we, right, and, right. you know, and then we have the, you know, the famous, you know, his passage about, you know, defining your own reality and all of that. And it's just like, I could just, you know, I could just see something like that happening here. I hope it doesn't, mm. but. I hope it doesn't. Goodness knows. All right. Um, sort of on the same lines. And, and again, you're, you're, you're anticipating my questions very well. I really like that. Um, Charlie, can you characterize the reaction of Catholics on both sides of the political spectrum to the Dobbs leak? Well, again, I, well, I haven't seen them all. Let me just make that disclaimer. But um, <laughs> well, you don't know everyone. I have not. not cataloged every single Catholic reaction, but um but I guess I could say this, I think among, well, l- well, let me just say again, I think for the vast majority of Catholics who are not plugged into activist circles and who are not active on social media, you know, it maybe hasn't registered that much. Um, but for those who, who don't fall into that category, I guess I'd say I've seen a disappointing reaction from Catholics on who identify with the left, who time and time again, when they think about these questions, ignore, almost totally ignore the prenatal child. I mean, the discussions... I've often said that abortion uh, discussions about abortion, which don't talk about both the child and the mother are deeply impoverished. And, um, and these discussions have been deeply impoverished because the, the child just completely falls out of the discussion there. The child is invisible in the discussions. I mean, they, they often bring up important considerations about women and about health and about autonomy that are important, but you know, what makes abortion what it is, of course, a, a, an issue which has roiled the country for five decades is because there's a baby there. And for Catholics, right, for Catholics to let that question of fundamental justice become invisible is just is just a, a monstrous mistake. And you have to wonder what's going on when smart, thoughtful people talk about this, where, where, where the child is not mentioned at all. On this, by the same token, like I think when, uh, you know, there are Catholics in the so-called right talk about a kind of a disembodied fetus apart from um, her relationship with her mother. Like when we don't get into the complexities surrounding miscarriages or about, uh, again, intimate partner violence or foundational grinding poverty. And importantly, um, uh, economically vulnerable women who are against abortion, who have abortions anyway, right? What a diabolical thing that is. Pe- women push to have abortions they don't want to have. You know, I think that's that's deeply problematic as well. But but I don't know about you. I mean, maybe it's just the circles I kind of run in now or pay attention to. But I see a lot more Catholics out there who I like to call magenta, not red, not blue. But like, for instance, Carter Sneed, Notre Dame's Carter Sneed just came out um, in his ethics center at Notre Dame, came out with a program they're calling Women and Children First, where they're going to talk about women and children together as a focus of what they do in their pro-life activism, right? And and having that upfront, not making a distinction uh, between them, and at least in the kinds of support they want to offer. The California Catholic Conference also is coming up with this, we were born ready um, uh, reaction to uh, to hopefully the, the, uh, the downfall of Roe and Casey. Um, and so to the extent that uh, Catholics are out there making the case that we need to have fundamental justice for the prenatal child. That's the 
primary social social justice issue of our time or primary justice primary justice issue of our time but but if we can avoid the trap of disappearing either the child or the mother from the conversation which i think is starting to happen in very serious and important ways then it'll be an authentically catholic conversation it seems to me yeah and i would say as you were talking i was thinking of the uh, the usccb's uh walking with moms in need perfect example uh, initiative yeah Yeah, um doing that. And just things like um, our, our president, Joseph Meany, he was saying, you know, he's from Texas and he was saying, you know, that the heartbeat bill down there that they passed is saving lives. But what a lot of people don't talk about is that part and parcel with that bill was the millions of dollars of funding that went to pre- crisis pregnancy centers and and those types of support for women. So, yeah. So I, I, th- I think you're right. Um, you need to focus on that. Let me just add one other sure. quick example. Um I think I just researched this this morning based on a tweet I saw. I think it's true. I think it's the case that in Mississippi, where this law that is 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 the is the locus for Dobbs um, being uh, challenging Roe and Casey, um, women are kicked off of Medicaid sixty days after giving birth in in Mississippi. And I just think that's a sort of a paradigmatic example of where we could find not only again, an authentically Catholic response to this to say that should never happen. But, um, but then to work with people across the aisle, you know, to use an overly (laughs) overused phrase, but certainly to find, uh, to find um, people who we might not expect to have common ground in support of what we, what we could go for to that. That's, that's an authentically Catholic approach, prenatal justice plus support for women. Yeah. Very well said. Charlie, comment, if you would, on the reaction of abortion supporters. And I'm thinking we've probably all heard the, you know, the Ruth sent us and and all of that. What's the mindset of people who support abortion? And what, if anything, are their, I would consider them uh, very high profile, at least because they're getting a lot of press, uh, they're very high protests going to accomplish? Yeah, I'd, I think it's worth saying uh, that folks who are supporters of abortion rights are a very large group with lots of different beliefs. And I would suggest again, that the vast majority of them don't really pay attention to this stuff very much and aren't motivated by it. They kind of just vaguely want abortion to be legal in some sense, very early in pregnancy, and then don't really pay attention to much else. And so they might be vaguely annoyed by this or maybe vaguely aware, but it, again, it just doesn't dominate their lives. The, 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 the folks for whom this does dominate their lives are really the extremists, those that really want, you know, virtually no uh, limits on abortion at all, who make um, the right to abortion the litmus test by which everything else is um, measured and who have captured the Democratic Party so that they, they support that and... Um, and for those activists, it seems like they're besides themselves. Like they're so they're so angry, they're so um, offended, they're so in the, they're offended in their very core, and don't really know what to do with that, and except to kind of emote and part of and and push it push their emotions out. And part of the way that that gets done is is through these protests, high, high profile protests, as you mentioned, like again, outside, um, Kavanaugh's home and other justices homes. But, but one of the things, you know, I've, I'm pretty annoyed with Republicans who say we need to run away from this. Nobody wants to talk about abortion. Give me a break. These people have the most extreme positions 
almost that we could possibly imagine on abortion. And they're making themselves the public face of opposition to Roe and Dobbs. I mean, we should be, those of us who who are in favor of prenatal justice and supporting women should really be highlighting these people and saying, thank you for going on TV and thank you for making your position such a high profile position. Almost nobody in the entire world agrees with you, right? You have, you have, I think, um, I think, uh, uh, the 2016 um, Democratic Party platform, who these folk, which is, these folks essentially wrote the abortion part of, makes makes no provision for any restrictions at all. And and with that with that being the the public facing perspective, I mean that's just a goldmine of uh, if we're talking about a you know a, wanting a political advantage on this question because again. Almost no one has that point of view except the the most wild extremists. Yeah, I'm glad you said that because it's I, <laughs> I I live in the Pennsylvania sixth congressional district, and our congresswoman right now, her name is Chrissy Houlihan, and she is as left as left can be, and it, it drives me nuts. And I know some of the people, and 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 in the interest of full disclosure, I'm a registered independent. Okay. Um, but I'm I'm friends with uh, people who are in the 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 Chester County Pennsylvania Republican Committee, and one of the discussions that I've had with them, and they brought it to me, is the 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 the, the, the local Republican Party is very hesitant to bring up these issues, the abortion right. issue, the the gender issue, all of it, because they don't want to upset people. And I'm like, this is a winning issue, especially the abortion issue. I mean, just highlight what Chrissy Houlihan has voted for. You know, in terms of all of this, and, and I just don't understand it. And and the person who I talked to doesn't understand it either. And he's a physician, and he he said, you know, to try to get the 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 local Republican parties to run on this and and talk about this and and you know to whoever the Republican candidate will be. I guess the uh, the primaries are coming up next week, but to get them to 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 say, look, we are diametrically opposed to what. Chrissy Houlihan and, and really the Democrat Party, as you said, is doing on this issue. And why are we not doing that? And it, it drives me nuts. And the pressure on Democrats is so powerful that even someone like Representative Tim Ryan of Ohio, um, who used to identify as a pro-life Democrat, I used to be on the board of Democrats for Life. Yep. He was yep. one of our guys. Um, we don't have as many people anymore we could call our guys or our gals. <laughs> um, one of the reasons I didn't I got off the board is the party just basically left um, anything remotely reasonable on this issue. But he was specifically asked whether he supports any restrictions on abortion at all. And his, his reaction was, you got to leave it all up to the woman, which as we know, given what we just talked about, the social structures and social pressures on women are such that that's just an incoherent message, especially for people who claim to be progressives and talk about structural um, sin and structural violence and structural coercion all the time, except on this issue, apparently. But that's, I mean, he almost embodies by himself the kind of shift that that, that, that party has made. And, and like you said, I mean, Republicans really could have a, just a dynamite uh, political issue here in other parts of the country they do, but in many parts of the country, especially, um, on the East coast and the West coast, right. it's kind of something they run away from. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, let's, 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 uh, talk a bit about, uh, federal laws here. So, um, abortion supporters, um, want a federal law protecting abortion. Uh, they, as they see, you know, 
Uh, Dobbs could overturn Roe and Casey. So now let's 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 change let's let's change our focus to federal law. Yet on May 11th, the U.S. Senate failed for the second time to pass the uh, the so-called Women's Health Protection Act. Charlie, can you uh, comment on this bill and the Senate's action? Paging Dr. Orwell, right, with the Women's Health <laughs> Protection Act. <laughs> Yeah, we just, um, we just I don't know if you heard it, but we just did a, a two-part podcast with um, Chris Stroud, who's a pro-life OBGYN, on, on ACOG's new language on abortion. It, it's the same thing. It's yeah. it, it's just ridiculous. But anyway, sorry, I interrupted you. <laughs> no, no, no. Um, I mean, here's a, yet another example of just the extremism. I mean, this, this bill, um, because it includes an exception for mental health uh, through all nine months of pregnancy, what what pregnancy doesn't affect a woman's mental health, obviously, um, makes abortion legal through all nine months of pregnancy by federal law. I mean, that is just to put the wild extremism of that into perspective. Back when we were having discussions about 20 week bans in various states, um, the Washington Post did a fact check on, I forget who said it, that they fact checked, number of people said it. Uh, was that we're one of only eight countries in the world that allows abortion on request after 20 weeks. And it's so funny, this um, this Washington Post, uh, Washington Post fact check. I don't normally don't like fact checks because I think they just tend to reinforce biases and they're not really fact checks. But here's one that I think works because they came to the conclusion they didn't want to come to. Several times they said, this is counterintuitive, but, and, uh, oh, this is surprising, and but here's what's true. And they came up with, they called it, I think, the elusive elusive Geppetto checkmark, which meant that it was totally true, um, that, we're, that we're only one of, um, I think it's seven countries, actually, one of only seven countries uh, that, that um, has abortion on demand past 20 weeks. I mean, that's extreme all by itself. But when you, if you think about this, if you think about um, if, a, if a doctor can come to the conclusion that a pregnancy will affect a woman's mental health, um, that she can have an abortion through all nine months of pregnancy. I mean, that's, I mean, I, I want to use a word I probably shouldn't use on the podcast for this, but it's, it's, it's nuts. It is totally wildly extreme. And we're back to where we were, I think with the previous point, like if you can't run against that kind of extremism as a Republican party, or if you can't go confidently into the public debate as pro-lifers and say, again, this is not a, this is not a John Finnis and Robbie George um, coup for the 14th Amendment with babies uh, protected under the 14th Amendment, though that would be a good thing. This is just allowing the public discussion and debate about policies to actually mean something, right? Mm -hmm. To have each state, to have the arguments, to have the debates, to have the will of the people actually mean something rather than have seven men in robes decide something back in 1973 um, unelected men, right? Um, we're now going to have a, a debate that means uh, that means something. That is not extreme. That is very democratic. Um, many states will probably end up with something very similar to what Europe has, you know, around 12, 14 weeks, which is what most of Europe has. But again, to contrast that with the Women's Health Protection Act, there's no comparison. It is just, again, wild extremism. Yeah. Absolutely. Do you ever think we'll see any kind of federal law protecting abortion, or do you think it's going to remain on the state level, assuming Dobbs overturns Roe? I think it absolutely could happen. I I think the people who have captured the Republican Party are working tirelessly to try to make sure this happens. I'm actually really afraid 
that they'll get rid of the filibuster in the Senate. The the thing that's mainly keeping it from happening, at least in a kind of um, in a kind of uh, uh, low key, I, I don't think the Women's Health Protection Act will pass. But uh, the the uh, the the two pro choice senators from um, Maine and Alaska. Yeah. Um, I'm blanking on their names now, but Susan um, Collins and Lisa Murkowski and Lisa Murkowski. What is it about Republicans from the, from the very Northern part of our country <laughs> that, that puts them in this? Uh, well, from what I hear, both of them are in trouble. Not Maybe surprising they, given, given their point of view. I mean, they're not, right. they, they've, they essentially have a watered down version of the women's health protection act. They want to pass. And with those two votes, even if Joe Manchin, a pro-life, one of the last Republican, uh, one of the last remaining pro-life Democrats, uh, around didn't vote against it, that would get them uh, 51 votes if every other Democrat votes for it. Now, maybe they won't because they want more and they're extremists. But I mean, if, if they also vote to get rid of the filibuster, that thing could pass. And 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 that would be a nightmare. Yeah. Charlie, how do you think we're, we're talking politics? So what the heck? How do you think the leak and the hopeful overturning of Roe and Casey will impact the November midterm elections, if at all. Now you said that you know, it doesn't seem that the leak doesn't seem to have moved the needle right now. But do you think there's any? I, do you think it will impact the elections at all? And is abortion the Democratic Party's primary, maybe even sole rallying cry for these elections? I mean, who knows what? Maybe there could be a surprise that when the actual. Um, when the actual opinion comes down that that there will be a big change this summer if it if it comes out in june or july which is when these massive decisions tend to come down but again there's been really no evidence i mean i don't know about you but i basically think the media reaction to the to the um to the leak of this draft is what i would have expected for the actual decision itself it was just oh yeah yeah massive oh, absolutely maybe even I don't know. Is it possible that it would be more hyperbolic and 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 over the top? Because precisely because if it was a it was an opponent of of the pro life decision leaking it, they wanted you know the kind of reaction to be sort of over the top to try to say the sky is falling. But despite all of that, again, the needle does not seem to have moved very much, and most people are concerned about you know they we talk about dinner table issues, bread and butter issues, you know, especially. I don't need to tell you. I don't need to tell anyone the rate of inflation. Right. Well, the cost of those bread and butter issues. That's right. That's right. Um, you know, it's going to be hard for for Democrats in the midterms. Uh, maybe they think they can kind of throw a hail mary here, but um, you know, in, in the wise words of the old um, of, of the old uh, magic eight ball, right? That you'd throw. You know, signs point to no. Uh, signs point to no at this point. I haven't heard a magic eight ball reference in years. That's well, a great one. Yeah. We got to be Gen X about this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> got to love it. Um, I, 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 I did want to point out, I, I, I think I've told people because um, I've had certainly had conversations with people and, I, and I'm wondering if in some ways this leak, there may be some divine intervention here to kind of let off some of the steam. Right. You know, if, you know, if Dobbs is going to, is going to overturn Roe, you know, instead of maybe having this one big blow up, maybe this is a way to release some of that steam and get some of that vitriol out so that when the real decision does come down, hopefully the way we want it to come down, 
some of this, uh, some of this fight, some of the vigor is, is taken away from the pro-abortion side. And in addition to divine intervention, maybe this is another um, feather in the cap of folks who want to say it's a it's a pro-life leaker, right? If somebody wanted to say like, hey, I want to take some of the vitriol out of the steam out of this, well, what better way than to let people know in May, uh, two months before it comes out, so they have some time to get used to it. I'm not saying, I'm just saying, right? <laughs> it, 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 it is yet another interesting um, thing to consider when thinking about who the leaker was. Yeah. Somebody's going to write a dissertation about this someday. <laughs> they probably really somebody, a, will. somebody probably, will. Somebody's probably already working on it. All right. I don't want, I don't want to, to necessarily go through every state here, but I, I'm wondering, Charlie, if you could comment on the efforts of some of the states in our union. And I'm, I'm particularly thinking New York, uh, New Jersey, your state. Yeah. Um, oh, sorry. I didn't mean to out where you live, but I guess, I guess <laughs> people could come find you. They can come uh, find me. Yeah. But anyway, New York, New Jersey, California, uh, Colorado, uh, the state of Vermont is looking to actually enshrine abortion or so-called reproductive rights in the state constitution. So can you, can you talk about the efforts uh, to expand abortion that are going on in these states? I mean, uh, the abortion laws that are actually, uh, and uh, the four states I mentioned, New York, New Jersey, California, and Colorado, these are on the books right now. These yeah. laws are on the books. And they go well beyond Roe and Casey. So I'm, I'm wondering right. if you just kind of comment on those and, and, and give us your take on them. It's barbarism. It's atrocious. It's the worst kind of violence um, expanded in the most dramatic of ways. And then to be a home for that kind of violence, right? To say, come to our state um, because, because we will be a home for that kind of violence is, is just beyond the pale. Um, this isn't what you asked about, but as a Catholic theologian, I just have to say this. I'm generally against making broad sweeping judgments against Catholic politicians with regard to their standing in the church. I think I know public policy is the kind of thing that can be extremely complicated and it's often the art of the possible and people can mean different things in their personal lives and what they believe as Catholics and what they pursue as public policies. But any Catholic politician supporting their home state being a haven for abortion, like abortion is a good thing. Come to right. my state. Yeah. Can't possibly make that argument. Right. I'm like, and again, I say this as somebody who in other contexts, I don't want, um, I don't want that. I want, I want the pres presumption to be against, um, against putting Catholic politicians in that, in that uh, position for the reasons I just said, but, but there's absolutely, there is no defense um, for for making one for participating and having one state be a safe haven for prenatal violence this way, there is none. Yeah. Um, Sanctuary and, states for abortion. Yeah. So, so if there are bishops listening to this, <laughs> um, they do. Uh, they do. I've been told that they do. Take heed of this, please. This is an this is an issue of fundamental justice, and and this was something interestingly when when there was another issue of fundamental justice. Um, uh, in the sixties in Louisiana, we, there was excommunications done of, of Catholic, uh, schools that didn't, um, uh, de desegregate their schools. Right. So, um, uh, it needs to be done carefully. It needs to be done, you know, with charity, it needs to be done for the good of the person. But the argument that again, I subscribe to, which is that public policy is often very complicated, um, just doesn't work when it comes to these very wildly extreme, um, abortion safe haven places. Um, I think this also 
dovetails nicely. Well, not nicely, but you can see the connection between this and Planned Parenthood and other pro-abortion groups saying, you know, we, we really want to rethink this use of the term pro-choice. You know, we, we, it's, it's not really pro-choice. You know, we're talking about an issue of fundamental justice. We're talking about a good, um, you know, for most of my time as a pro-lifer, I've heard um, both from some pro-lifers and from those who disagree with me on abortion saying no one is for abortion, right? No one thinks abortion is good. I mean, that's just manifestly false at this point, right? right? When you have, when you have. Shout your abortion. Shout your abortion. Planned Parenthood saying, let's not use the term pro-choice anymore. When you have safe haven laws, right, saying come to our state uh, to get your abortion. Or you have uh, corporations that are paying for people to travel to a state to have an abortion. That's right. And paying for the abortion, uh, but in many times not giving them sufficient paid family leave, not giving them sufficient child care, not giving them sufficient flexibility when it comes to being a parent and, and somebody who's working for the corporation. So, um, again, the kind of structural um that kind of structural coercion is just something we, we, we ought to highlight as Catholics, at least as much as the prenatal justice um, concern, which ought to be foundational. So, yeah, I mean, it's gross, it's violent, it's barbarism, and it, it, it should put that no one is pro-abortion uh, thing to bed for a long time. Yeah. Last, uh, last thing before we'll put the Dobbs uh question to bed, at least for this podcast, what do you think pro-life supporters should be doing right now, both on the federal level and on the state level? Well, I think we should probably focus, well, at the, at the federal level, we should be for resisting this, um, these, uh, these very real attempts to uh, federalize um, some, some kind of very significant pro-choice policy. Um, but beyond that, I think we really need to push the culture uh, maybe through, in part through our ad, um, advocacy and movements at the state level, because again, I don't need to tell you this, the states, um, that I, the state I live in, the state I work in primarily, um, are just so far away from being anything even remotely pro-life that there's just a ton of work to do. So I, I really do think pro-lifers have an opportunity, you know, it's maybe become a kind of a, weasel word or an imprecise phrase or something, but to win the culture, right. To win hearts and minds, I think starts at the local level. And I think it would be a mistake to, to move immediately to the federal level. I think it would invite a ton of backlash. And, um, I think, I think frankly, states like New York and New Jersey and California would just ignore <laughs> any federal pro-life law anyway, and just do abortions anyway. Like they've ignored other kinds of laws. Um, so we need to we need to win the culture. We need to focus on the local and and we actually have um, we have models for doing this, right? I mean, I I joked before about leaving, you know, Democrats for Life, the the board of Democrats for Life, but Governor John Bell Edwards of, of Louisiana yep. Yep. Um, signed Medicaid expansion and signed the heartbeat bill of his state. Um, I think it was in the same term, actually. Um, so there are places, uh, and he's where, a Democrat and he's a, sorry. Yeah. He's a Democrat. He's a Democrat. Um, um, Senator Manchin, uh, is though he's not as, uh, rock ribbed on, on some things as Bell Edwards is, is example of a national politician who still manages in a state like West Virginia to be a pro-life, um, Democrat. 
And I think Democrats are good when they get shellacked in 2022 and 24, they're going to realize they can't just be on this wild extreme of abortion and continue to win elections. It's just not going to work. They have the opportunity to win more elections if they just allow some pro-life Democrats into the fold. At least this was the argument we made for years before that. Um, you know, uh, we're, it's going to, I mean, eventually it's just going to be a numbers game, especially as Latinos who are disproportionately pro-life become more powerful and assertive. It, it looks like Latinos, uh, uh, 50% of Latinos are going to vote for Republicans in the midterm election. I mean, just like 10 years ago, that would have been ridiculous, but this right. is the shift we're seeing. Yeah. So, um, so, so we have an opportunity to work with racial minorities, to work with Democrats, to work at the local level, to build culture changing uh, institutions um, and policies. Um, and that's where I think at least I would like to see our focus be. This concludes part one of my interview with Dr. Charlie Camosi. In part two, Charlie addresses revelations that Canada may now be euthanizing the poor, an issue he spoke about during his May 11th appearance on Tucker Carlson Tonight. Following this, we'll discuss Charlie's departure from Catholic higher education and his new position at the Creighton University School of Medicine. For more information on the topics discussed today and other bioethical issues, please visit our website, ncbcenter.org, where you can subscribe to our newsletter, as well as our publications, Ethics and Medics, and the National Catholic Bioethics Quarterly. The views expressed on Bioethics on Air are not necessarily those of the National Catholic Bioethics Center. If you have comments or questions about this or any of our podcasts, please contact me or host, Joe Zalot, at J-Z-A-L-O-T, at ncbcenter.org. Archived editions of the podcasts are available on our website. Please hover on the Blogs and Podcasts button on the main page, and then click Bioethics on Air. Finally, if you enjoy our podcasts, please subscribe to them. And if you would like to support them, as well as the mission and ongoing work of the NCBC, go to our website, again, ncbcenter.org, and click on the red Donate button. Thank you for listening, and may God's peace be with you.